Well, welcome back. If you're back with us uh, after having been with us last week, if this is your first week in this series or your first time at Crosspoint, certainly glad you guys are here. We are looking at this character that is a real character in our Bible, the devil. And as we're looking at him, we're, we're looking and seeing some of his identity, some of who he is, who his character is, and what he is up to. That the devil, a.k.a. deceiver, that, that he is somebody who he attacks he attacks us, and as he attacks us, that he attacks our mind with lies. That's what he does, that he attacks our mind with lies. And the greatest deception of all time is Satan, the devil, convincing people that he doesn't exist, convincing people that he's not real. And it's the greatest deception of all time, and and there's a, there's a good chance that some of you that are here today, some of you guys that are watching online, you're going, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about him being real. I, I, I think that there's some, some things that we're supposed to learn and understand, and so that's kind of this made-up character. And, but you see, when we look at our Bible and we read through it, we see how Jesus was tempted by Satan. When, when we go all the way back near the beginning and we see that, that Eve was tempted by Satan, and that's how sin came into the world, was giving in to that temptation. When we see several details about who he is and his game plan, that there's too much evidence in there that, that allows us to see that this isn't just some made-up thing to try to teach us something about life, but this guy is, is real, and that he is. He's this deceiver. And this deceiver wants to attack our mind with lies. And as he attacks our minds with lies, one of the ways that he does that is he, he gets us to question and question God. And whenever he gets us to question God, those questions are designed to deceive us. They're designed to trick us. They're even designed to hurt us. And, and that one of the things that, that Satan will do is that he takes it, he has these seeds of doubt, that, that, that they are custom seeds to, what are these things that I can do to get you to doubt? And, and he just begins to, to spread these out over the soil of our heart. And as he spreads these seeds out over the soil of our heart, he, he comes in and he waters behind it. He begins to shine some light on it because he wants to do everything he can do to get this doubt to sprout. That's what he wants. He's going to deceive and, and try to get the doubt to sprout because once it sprouts, there's a good chance that there's going to be some fruit of doubt in our lives. And then some of this fruit of doubt that, that he is hoping takes root and begins to grow and be produced is he wants us to doubt God and doubt him in ways like this, to, to, to come along and, and doubt God and doubt God's word and, and that we would do something like, okay, well, God... God didn't really mean that for you, right? And, and we will. We'll, we'll begin to question that. We're like going, yeah, we kind of know that, that that's what God says and that's what God wants, but, but we'll begin to doubt and go, but, but God didn't really mean that, mean that for you. It would, another way that we begin to, to doubt when this fruit of doubt comes along is we go, but God didn't really mean that for now. I mean, not, not right. I mean, look at the circumstances, look at the timing of life and everything. That, that, not, not for now. I mean, sure, later and earlier, but, but not, not right now. That, that, that we begin to have this, this fruit of doubt that comes along and go, well, God didn't mean that there really aren't any exceptions. And that's this fruit of doubt that comes in and it, it starts to take over. Because Satan is the one who wants to deceive us. 
to, to believe that, you know what, what God has said, what God has shown, it's not always real, it's not always right, and it's not always for us. That, that as we looked at this idea of the deceiver and what's happening, that, that we are going to have a voice that is going to be loudest in our heart. And that voice that's going to be loudest in our heart, it's either going to be the voice of the deceiver or the voice of the deliverer. That, that, that's, it's going to be one of those two. And that Jesus is our deliverer and Satan is our deceiver. And that we've got to be intentional and go, I need to dial down the voice of the deceiver. I need to dial up the voice of our deliverer. But we have to make a conscious choice with this. That, that when we look at this, the devil, a.k.a. the deceiver, that he attacks our minds with lies, that, that the accuser, he attacks, and what he attacks is he attacks our spirit with allegations. And then we have the destroyer. And the destroyer, he attacks our heart with pride. That that's what we are looking at. So we've already talked about the deceiver and, and unpacked that last week. We're going to be looking at the accuser this week. That we're going to be looking at who is the devil as the accuser. How is it that this is his name? That he is also known as the accuser. Have, have you ever been accused of something by someone you love? Now, it might even be true, but, but just this fact that you've been accused of something by somebody that you love. I, I know I have. And sometimes those, those accusations, they, they can be liar. They can be cheater. That, they, that these accusations, they, they, they love us, but they've seen something that, that's beginning to cause them to question who we are and what we've done, and they make some accusations against us. They might even say, traitor. That, 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 you, that you used to be on, on a team, and we were on a team together, and now you've traded, and you're no longer on the same team. Have you ever been accused by somebody who hates you, though? Because see, those accusations, they are a little bit different. That those accusations come along like, you're just jealous. That, 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 that they just kind of try to cut to the core of who we are. That, that you're just jealous that they might even say something like, you're a has-been. And you'll never be, and they just start to fill in the blanks behind that. But, but maybe at its, at its ultimate, that, that accusation, that, that it comes in and it says something like, you just want to be like me. And that they make these accusations that cut right into us. Well, we're going to look in, in Scripture, we're going to be in a few different places this morning. And as we look at the scripture, we're going to be seeing who is this accuser and is there any hope for us? Is there any help for us with this accuser? So let's start in the book of Revelation. We'll start with the end of our Bible. In Revelation chapter 12, we'll start in verse 10. And this book of Revelation, this book is, it's all a vision. 
It's a vision of the things to come, things that aren't happening yet, but these, these things that are to come. And, and so this vision is a vision that was given to a disciple. His name is John, and he's got this vision. So he's writing down everything that God is showing him in this vision. And so we're going to start looking at this vision here in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. That's the shout. And it's the authority of his Christ. And you might go, but what do you mean his Christ? Isn't that a name? Well, it is a name, but it's a name that really has a meaning. And, and, and Christ means the, the anointed one, the, the chosen one, that we have this understanding. This is this long-awaited one. When Jesus Christ, when he came to the world, Jesus is his name and Christ is his identity, that he's going, I am the anointed one. I am the chosen one. I am the one who you've been expecting to come. And as John's getting this vision, that, that now in heaven, it's going, hey, it has come at last. There, there's something that it's just now arriving. And in this vision, it deals with the time when, when eternity is now every human's existence. That there's no human existence on earth, but it's all, everybody's now in their eternal dwelling place. That, that they're either in this very great place, hopeful place called heaven, because of having a relationship with Jesus, or if people have rejected Jesus, they're in a very real place called hell. But, but, but the eternal dwelling has now taken place. Look at the last half of this verse. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. That the accuser, he accuses and he makes accusations to us and, and, and right in our spirit and our mind and, and he makes accusations to us, but he also goes before the Heavenly Father and he makes accusations against us there. That, that when we look at the scripture and, and we see the accuser here in, in, in verse 10, this word accuser is diablos. That, that's the word here, diablos. And, and that's the Greek word and, and you might be going, well, that kind of sounds a lot like devil, and it is. It's one way to translate it, but there is another translation for diablos, accuser, because it's the character of who the devil is, and that he is the accuser. I, I want you to think about this, that before you sin, the devil is an encourager. Now, now you, you might go, I, I've never thought about Satan being an encourager. You might be going, that's just a, four, what do you mean he's encouraged? He is. Before you sin, he is an encourager. He is a cheerleader. He is doing everything that he can do to encourage you to do what? Sin. That, that, that before you sin, he is your encourager and, and 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 he just begins to plant these things right there in our spirit that we begin thinking and contemplating about and it's things like oh it'll be worth it that he's just encouraging us or whatever we're contemplating that we know is it, it'll be worth it it's like oh no well, 
and we start going, well, maybe it will. And we start judging and looking and going. He says things like, oh, it's, it's no big deal. As in, sure, just, just go right. It's not that big of a thing. And he's just well, doing what? He is encouraging us to sin. He'll say things like, oh, you just need to give yourself permission. As in, you know it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, but just give yourself some permission to just have a little fun, to just live a little. That he'll say things like, well, you should, and he'll fill in the blank of whatever it is that we're thinking and contemplating. And, and, and the one that, that probably is, is the most effective, you deserve. We do. We start going, well, I kind of like the sound of that, and I like to be reminded of what it is that, that I deserve, and, and we begin to justify a decision, an action, a behavior that, that we know is wrong. But because we deserve, we think, okay, maybe, maybe just a little. Maybe, maybe just for now. So before you sin, Satan is an encourager. But after you sin, he is an accuser. That before you sin, he is a great encourager. After you sin, he is a great accuser. And he accuses you, you're so selfish. You don't care about anybody. That, that he just makes these accusations and, and he'll make this accusation. You don't deserve to be forgiven. And, and those accusations, those are easy to start believing. He'll accuse us for what we've done and he'll say, you'll never be this. There's no going back. And we start living in defeat. That the devil is your accuser. That's who he is. That he is your accuser. And you know, there's some people that, that as you're hearing this, you know, that there are some people that, that you have such a guilty conscience. That, that as soon as you hear anything about somebody doing something wrong, you're, you're like, you're ready to start sobbing. I'm sorry, I did it, I did it. What did you do? I don't know, but it had to be me. Because you're, you got just such a guilty conscience. And, and Satan loves playing with you. You are a toy to him. To do whatever he can do to bring misery into your life. And then there's some of the people in the room that you're like, Conscience, what's that? <laughs> I don't have one of those. And nothing penetrates your heart. He loves you too. You're right where he wants you to be. And he doesn't even mess with you because your conscience is already seared. It's gone. You don't even feel anything. And he's going, hey, I'm content with you. Just stay right there. As long as he can keep you from having the kind of a relationship that God desires to have with you, he'll take it any way that he can get it. 
And see, when it comes to accusations and being accused, there's usually some truth to it. There really is. That there's usually some truth, there's some measure of truth of whatever it is that, that we are being accused of. That, that we've done something that, that and we knew better and we knew we shouldn't have. And he wants us to so he can what? So he can accuse us and belittle us. That, that when we are getting accused, we go, we, we've justified our actions and, and he's helping us to justify leading up to it. But then he's judging us after we do everything that he tried to justify us to do. That, that we've done something and we were intentional. We didn't like just accidentally sin. We willfully chose. When I think about the reasons that, that, that people walk away from God, the, the, the reasons that, that people begin to move back away from God, I think there are two main reasons. And I think one of those main reasons is what we're talking about here today. It's the accusations. And, and when we get accused of something that we've done to some degree, to some level, and, and, and the accuser comes along and belittles our spirit and convinces us that God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. Well, maybe he even just says this. He goes, hey, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you as long as you're going to keep on doing. And, and so, hey, you make up your, oh, I'm not ready to get, well, then God doesn't want anything. And so what do we do? It's the accusations. And with the accusations, we just begin to slowly step away from God. The other reason that we end up moving away, these two main reasons, it's not the accusations, it's anger. And, and, and that we get angry with God. We're angry with him. And we're angry with him because, because he didn't do. We're angry with him because he did do. We're angry with him because he did allow. And we're angry with him. And when we get to this point where we are angry with God, we kind of turn our back and just start walking away. Satan's happy with whatever it takes to get us to move further and further away from our loving Heavenly Father. He's an accuser. And it's one of his tactics, one of his ways, that he tries to get us to move further away from God. We're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to look in a book called Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet. God's given him this vision, and in this vision, he's writing out this vision. And, and so we're going to look at this in chapter 3, and we're going to see a few dynamics at play here together. So starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, some of you guys might go, hey, I've heard this Yeshua thing before. Isn't that another name and a way to pronounce Jesus, which it is. But that's not Jesus here that we're talking about. So this is Yeshua, and, and he is a high priest. He's not the high priest. That Jesus came along and was the ultimate high priest. But this is Yeshua. And so the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is Jesus. So the accuser, Satan was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Yeshua. So as we look at this, you kind of imagine this courtroom setting is what I want you to imagine. 
And as you imagine this courtroom setting, that, that you have Satan, the accuser, the prosecutor, that, that he is there, and he is there to accuse and to try to prosecute Yeshua, this high priest. Okay? You have Yeshua, who's the defendant. And he's the defendant, and, and, and he's done something. And he's why he's there, and he is in this place of having to defend. And, and then we have God, and God is the judge. That, that, that that's the scene. I want us all to see this. Verse 2. And the Lord said to, to, said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Some of you guys, that's, that's really all you needed to hear today. That, that, that for some of you, it's kind of like, you're going, okay, I can check out because I, I got what I needed to hear. Do you see that this is the judge? And, and the judge is doing what? He is rejecting the accusations of Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. He's been rescued. He's been saved. And you aren't going to get to have your way with him. That that's what the judge is doing here. Verse 3, Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. You go, why are they talking about his clothes? This is a vision, and these clothes represent his sin. He's got, they're filthy, and so he's got all this sin that he's wearing. He's, he's clothed, he's robed in sin. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. What are they saying? Take off his sin. Get rid of his sin is what is being said here. And turning to Yeshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. That as God begins to, to strip away the sin from our lives, he says, and here's something else to wrap yourself in. Doesn't leave us just, just naked there. And he, and he covers us. Verse 5. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean priestly turban on his head and they dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then... Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Yeshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. That's Jesus. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among the others standing there. That, that Yeshua, he's the high priest. And, and, uh, and in this hierarchy, the high priest, he, he's the one individual that gets to go in this very special sacred place that's part of the temple of God. And it's called the Holy of Holies. He's the only one that can go in. And this place is so sacred that he's only allowed to go in 
once a year. And he goes in and he, he burns incense. He prays prayers of confession for all people. And he seeks God's blessing. That, that's what this high priest would do. Whoever the high priest was, every year that this is what they would do. And when you look, the, the angel of the Lord, he's been accused. And when he's been accused, there's some truth to it. Why? Because he's got sin all over him. And the angel of the Lord removes the sin. And then the angel of the Lord says, hey, here's some conditions. It's if you will, then I will. And so when we look at this, the angel didn't say anything about Yeshua being removed from his position. That, that, that the angel didn't say anything about Yeshua being put on probation. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. We're going to hold some things back, and you can only do, and you've got to keep reporting. He didn't say, you're on probation. That, that when it comes to what the angel of the Lord, he didn't say to Yeshua that, hey, you know what, that role and responsibility you've been carrying, we're, we're, just, we're going to, re we're going to re reduce that sum. Because of what you've done. No, actually what the angel did was the angel restored. He was accused of something he's done, said. And yet the angel, when God gets involved as the judge, says, I, I want to restore. And he gets restored. Verse 8, listen to me, O Yeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are a symbol of things to come. That's a little foreshadowing. You're a symbol of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant, the branch. It's a capital B. It's another prophecy in reference to when Jesus would come. And Jesus, who became the ultimate once and for all high priest. Listen, when, when we look at this courtroom setting and see what's going on, it's why it's so important to get connected in church. To, to not just attend and not just sit in a row, and, and that's certainly a first step, but I'm certainly glad that every single one of you guys are here. If you're watching online, I'm glad that you're going, hey, I'm hungry, I want to learn some things, I want to grow, and, and that's great. But that's just a first step. That getting connected with some people that they're going, I want to grow in my faith. I, I, I want to be able to know God better. I want to become more of who it is that God's created me to be. It requires getting connected. And, and we can't do that very well in rows. But when we get in circles and sit around as a small group of some other people that they're going, hey, I'm here and I want to grow in, in, in my faith journey. And, and I need to get some support. That, that, that's where this begins to take place. And if you're not connected, then I'd encourage you, get connected. That, that, that you need to stop by our small group, our, our next steps, and say, hey, I'm interested in getting in a small group. I, I want to plug in. I, I want to get around some other people. And the reason that this is so important is because we do have an accuser. And the accuser is doing everything that he can do to belittle you as a person, to defeat you as an individual, to convince you that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. And when you get around some other people, people that are going, I want to grow in my maturity and my faith, that, that as you get around some other people, you get around some people that will encourage you 
They're not going to say, no, you don't understand, and no, no, that's no big deal. But they're going to encourage you. Yeah, God loves you. God's going to forgive you. Hey, how can we help you? How can we help you have some accountability? That is why it's so important. When, when I think about our dream team, that, that we'll have about 200 people that, that throughout the week, whether they're here on Sunday, whether they're helping with our Monday service, whether they're office volunteers throughout the week, We'll have about 200 people on our dream team help pull off a Monday for us at church. And when it comes to being on our dream team, that the people on our dream team, they're not perfect people. But you know what they are? They're pliable people. It's, it's, we're not per- I'm not perfect. And, and, and the accuser wants to remind us that we're not perfect and that we can't be used by God because we're not perfect. And if I were to buy into that lie, I couldn't even do what I do. But it's when we're pliable. And we go, hey, God, okay, God, we, we welcome your spirit of conviction in our life. God, we welcome your purpose and desire for us. And we keep working to live that out. In our New Testament, this book of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, this is John the disciple, and, and he's writing to believers. And as we look at this, 1 John chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. This whole letter that he's writing, he's going, I'm writing this to you so that what? So that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. The devil is your accuser. Jesus is your advocate. That yes, there is an accuser, and your accuser is the devil. But Jesus is your advocate who is fighting for you, who is defending you. And let's look at this description of how he defends. Verse 2, for he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That word atones, it's, it's paid for, it's to make right. He atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Listen, hear this. The devil knows your name. But he chooses to call you by your sin. Just think about that. The devil knows your name. But he chooses to call you by your sin. He's an accuser. And then he wants to defeat you and help you to live a defeated life that is far from God. And he'll settle for any distance that's farther than what you are right now. But check this out. God knows your sin but chooses to call you by your name. See, because he is your advocate. But I, I want you to 
I want you to see something. So we've got these cards, and, and, and these cards are all spread out across the stage, and, and we've got a bunch of Sharpies spread out on the stage. This hello, my name is. And, and, and we can look in there, we can see that, okay, there's sin right there, and, and that's certainly what the accuser wants you to think your identity is. But your advocate, who knows your name? He knows your sin, but he chooses to call you. By your name. That this is something that, that when you begin to see that, you begin to see that, that Jesus loves you so much and he is coming to defeat our great enemy. And some of you, you've bought into the lie that you are your sin. Some of you, you got that, such that guilty, I'm just, I'm, I'm my sin, that, that's who I am, and I'll, I'll never be closer to God, and, and I can never be used by God in a significant way, and, and, and all of that your accuser enjoys. But see, God knows your sin, but he chooses to call you by your name. That when we see how much God loves us. Well, we could look at this vision that Zechariah had and, and how God the judge, that, that the role that he takes is a role to restore. You're guilty. I'm, we are found guilty. And instead of pronouncing a judgment on us, we get a restoration offered to us. It's a little different than the way that our justice system works. That when you're found guilty and all the evidence is there, the judge goes, you're guilty and here is your punishment. But with God, it's you're guilty, but I can take away your guilt if you will let me. Because I've sent Jesus to deal with that if you will let him. So I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and, and when I pray that the band's going to come out, we're going to finish with, with the song still, but when I pray, that is your invitation to come up here and, and, and to grab a hello, my name is. We got a bunch of Sharpies over here. Just write your name there. Th these aren't a sticker, and so it's not that you're going to peel it back and, and put it on. It's a card, and, and with that card, put it somewhere where you can be reminded that, that you're not your sin. You are your name. You are who God wants you to be and how he sees you. That, that ladies, you can put this on your makeup mirror. Guys, you put it on your desk or on the dash of your car. But, but put this somewhere where you can be reminded that, that, yeah, Satan, he knows my name, but he chooses to call me by my son. But God knows my sin and chooses to call me by my name. Pray with me. God, there aren't enough words for us to, to express with gratitude of you being a judge that, that you love us so much that even when you see our guilt, you provided Jesus to take on that guilt, to deal with that guilt. And to restore us to a place of right standing with you. Would we have our faith and our hope and our trust that we place in your son.
God, help us to, to overcome the, the voice in our spirit that, that Satan just comes and whispers into our spirit, even though he knows our name, that he calls us by our son. God, help us to be an overcomer that knows how you see us because you know our sin, but you choose to call us by our name. Thank you for that kind of love. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.